to Bite Down Dental Technology with Dr. Kyle Stanley. This is a podcast about different technologies happening in the dental world. And we're going to go through and discuss different aspects of technology, whether it helps, you know, our dental technicians, whether it is for CAD CAM, whether it's artificial intelligence or intraoral scanning or face scans, if it helps our patients communicating with our patients. And so stay tuned for all of our different guests. But our first guest, which I'm very, very excited for, is my good friend, Dr. Marcus Blatz from the University of Pennsylvania. Marcus and I have been friends for many years through the speaking circuit, the research circuit, universities. Uh, we have a lot of the same philosophies on treatment. And it's just my, my true honor to have you here, Marcus. So thanks for coming. Well, the honor is on my side. Thanks for having me. <laughs> So for those that don't know you, why don't you give an introduction into your history, what you're doing now, uh, what many of your research, what much of your research has to do? Yeah, very briefly. I mean, originally from Germany, graduated in Freiburg, Germany, and then uh, moved to the U.S. just for two years initially to do some research here as well. I was trained in uh, perio, perioprost and prosthodontics, and have also some degrees in dental materials. And this was when I moved to uh, first of all, Louisiana State University was there for a number of years, and now I'm chairman of the Department of Preventive and Restorative Sciences at the University of Pennsylvania, and also assistant dean for digital innovation and professional development. Yeah, so I love that digital innovation. When I went to UPenn, I was lucky enough that you gave me a tour when I was there. I got to see all that your students are doing, and I would say probably the most advanced dental school in the U.S., maybe in the world, because your students are already doing augmented reality, uh, prepping teeth that aren't really there. And it was really cool to feel the, um, the feedback that was coming from that. You already have, from what you told me, 90% of your indirect restorations in your student clinic are coming from CAD CAM, chair side. Very, very cool to have that technology. I think it's so refreshing to hear dental students coming out that aren't learning what my dad learned in the 1970s. Well, that's that's exactly the goal, of course. We, it's, this is my role. I mean, we have to, as a full-time uh, educator, I you know we have to make sure we teach our students with the latest techniques, technologies. And that doesn't mean that we jump on every train that leaves the station, because we have to also make sure that the things we're doing are evidence-based. But as soon as they are, and of course, we also producing much of that evidence, but as soon as they are, of course, we implement them in our clinics. Yeah. So today's topic is a controversial topic, early caries. So let's go into detection. Let's go into, um, you know, when we treat, how we find it, when we treat it, what, what treatments do we do? I think that you can find so much inconsistency in, in, in every aspect of early caries. So let's first start with detection. What are your thoughts on detecting early caries? It's actually an interesting topic, by the way. I had to learn a lot of that myself because coming from the implant prosthetic world, you know that early caries detection was not necessarily on top of the list of my favorite topics. But um, as I said, in our department, we don't teach general dentistry by different departments. We teach it in, in a comprehensive way. That's why it's very important that all of us you know, understand the very early beginnings of when should we, as you said, treat and when should we not treat. 
And so this early detection is extremely important because in the end of the day, what is the most important role for a dentist? It is to help our patients keep their teeth as long as possible. That has to be our highest goal. Not how can I you know, place the most crowns or the most implants, you know? and unfortunately we're getting sometimes into this, oh, I place more implants than you, so I must be the better dentist. Eh, not necessarily. Right. Um, you know, I think we need to focus more on what is our main role, and that is to help our patients keep their teeth as long as possible. And it starts with detecting carious lesions, disease, and then what to do to prevent it from progressing or can I repair it? Yes or no? And these are the questions, of course, that we're all battling right now. But the key thing is detection. And as you said, what is, what is it, what's necessary for detection? Of course, radiographic evaluation. I mean, this is your forte as well. And I'm sure we're going to dive much more into that topic because that's a very hot topic, of course. And then is, is clinical evaluation. And even there, there are so many new tools available right now. We're talking about scanners. We're talking about magnification. Magnification is one of the most important things. If you don't have any magnification, you, don't, you cannot see enough. Our students learning to use the surgical microscope already in the preclinics now. Of course, we use it in PROS, we use it in our general dentistry practices, but now even in the preclinics, so they get familiar with it. Because when you see things, you can do a much better job, much more precise, and preserve tooth structure. That's the idea. Away with the destructive dentistry, we have to start to preserve tooth structure. And this is why we said radiographic analysis, we said visual analysis, tactile analysis. I mean, we know by now that you should not use a sharp explorer to tap into something and then even make things worse because then you really break the surface because if the surface right. is not infracted, we don't necessarily have to treat it because it's reversible. Once the surface is, is not intact anymore, then you have to start thinking about what can I do to prevent progressing? And then this is exactly the thought process that we have to have. So we have the tactile information. Visual aids, there are some more things that we have available as well. Think about um, fluorescent lights, for example. Um, and there are some tools that also are, actually one of our adjunct faculty have developed. It's actually a, a set of loops that have an, a, a UV light in them, but they also have certain filters. And those filters are, are made in a way that you can actually see active bacteria in a different color than non-active bacteria. It doesn't work uh, with regular cool. loops. It doesn't work with regular loops, but it's, it's especially it's called Reveal, and they have a special set of loops with certain filters that can filter out certain wavelengths, and then you can make bacteria, or not bacteria itself, but side I would say products of bacteria, porphyrins visible. But then you can see active versus non-active because that's the main determinant here in, in our early carrier uh, detection. And when do I start treatment? Is it active? Is this non-active? If it's non-active carriers, I don't necessarily have to treat it surgically. And there's of course differences between chemically and surgically. Surgically means I use a drill and I, I put a hole and you know, I have to fill it with something. Or I do it non-surgically. That could be, you know, by you know fluoride treatment, fluoride paste. That could be, you know, sealants or or a resin infiltration, things like that. Before you go into the surgical phase, because once you hit the burr to the tooth, you're at the point of no return. And that's right. Gone. That's when, as Pascal Manier says, the cycle of death starts. Exactly. Right. <laughs> you have a, a filling that turns into a crown, that turns into a root canal, that turns into a fractured tooth, that turns into an implant. And just like you, as much as I love implants, 
They're a great replacement for a missing tooth, not a great replacement for a tooth. And so getting into, you know, before we go into um, when to treat, because I think that may be the next step, focusing more on um, detection, because I, I've spoken with a lot of radiologists and people that, that run radiology programs within universities. And what they tell me is that students are coming out and not having enough exposure to caries in general, just recognizing caries, recognizing patterns of caries on radiographs. So when we're talking about this classification system, right, we have E1, E2, uh, we'll go into that when we go more into, uh, into when to treat, but why do you think it's so difficult to detect these early lesions? Um, on the radiographics? On the radiograph, yeah, specifically. Well, it's, it's just a matter, like I said, of, of, of making it visible. And I always say, and that's true for, for many of the assessments that we do, I talk about aesthetic analysis, smiles, whatever, you know, I always say, you know what, you have to have a certain checklist in your mind. Mm -hmm. You know, you have to you go through this checklist and I say, and the truth is also for, for radiographs. If you just, you know, pinpoint something here and there, you may lose sight of it. That's why have an internal checklist. And that starts usually with the periphery and then I zoom in. So I never look first at the tooth itself. Or oh, can I see some caries? No. If you have a larger radiograph, for example, Panorex, you, know, you, you first of all look at the, at the bony structures, you look at the sinuses, you look at the joint, things like before you even think about the teeth. Mm -hmm. And then you zoom in because otherwise you may lose something. It's this checklist, boom, 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 from large to small. And then I zoom into the teeth and then I go tooth by tooth and look very closely. So, and the same is true for smile design. Now that you could like aesthetic parameters. How do you look at it? Well, you look at the face first. You don't focus on the tooth and then say, hey, you know what? Uh, I think we have to do some uh, gingiva graft here. No, no, no. You take into consideration the entire picture and then you zoom in. And the same is true for also, that's how we teach actually to look at radiographs and make sure you don't miss anything basically. But without a checklist, you may focus on the wrong things and it could be fatal if you miss Yeah, it. that's really interesting because I know they've done studies on eye tracking and they track how... Uh, faculty members or radiologists look at radiographs and then they check students and it's entirely different. And so I think what is, uh, what I didn't understand when I graduated was that radiographs is just like anything else. It is a skill. And this is where I really think that AI can come in and help raise the bar Absolutely. because you can bring, you can have a, a new student or, you know, even you know, a second year student that the AI can point their eye to those areas of interest. You know, it's not saying you need to do, do a treatment here. What it's saying is, hey, student, hey, doctor, whatever it may be, take a look here and give me your assessment. And I think that's where AI can help in this first step, which is that early detection. Absolutely. And this is where, like I said, I mean, technologies and CAT CAM, whatever, we focused for 30 years on, on the production side, you know, how to you know, use it as instead of an impression and, you know, using the scanner and then on the production or the fabricator restoration. Now technology is focusing much more on the beginning, because now we understand this is the most important before we even talk about the restoration fabrication is diagnostics. 
making sure we don't we, we capture everything and then come up with the proper treatment plan because that's where you see the biggest differences i mean if you tell people put you know cut the crown they will look more or less similar hopefully but when you tell people look at this radiograph or you say give me your treatment plan you go to 10 different dentists you get 10 different treatment plans which right. one is right that's right. This is one of the biggest deficiencies that we have in our specialty, I have to say. And this is why any tools that we can use to help us standardize that. And it doesn't mean that one dentist is better than the other. It just means for us to use those tools to help us become better and to help our patients to get better care. I'm all for it. This is what we should focus on. Yeah. And that's really one of the great things that AI can do is consistency. You know, AI is not always right just like a human is not always right. But one thing that it is, is consistent. So if you show an AI neural network an image today, and then you show it an image, that same image in two weeks, it's gonna give you the same output. However, if you show me or you that same image in two weeks, we may say something different. Absolutely. We may say there's not carries anymore, or you know, we didn't have our coffee today, so I, you know, I'm more tired, so I missed something, or I'm busy, or I'm distracted, or I have to go to the restroom, or whatever it may be. And I think that's where AI can really come in and make things make things consistent, because like you were saying, it's not who's right, it's not which which dentist is correct, because we all have different trainings, we have different philosophies, but we should have the diagnosis part be somewhat standardized, at least more standardized than it is today. Oh yeah, and I mean, the biggest misconception about some of the technologies I think is also that people think then they will do everything for you. That's not the case. Even That's with right. cat cam or with, you know, yeah. These technologies don't do it for you, but they help you to be better, be more precise, be faster. And why not? Because I mean, I know many people are afraid of that. Oh, I'm gonna lose my job or I'm not gonna be, no, 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 no. That's you don't have to worry about this. You still have to be the one making the ultimate decisions. But these tools can be very helpful. They will not do everything for you. You still have to do your part, but they can be very helpful to be more consistent, exactly like you said. Yeah, that's right. I, I, I like to think of all this technology as assistive tools, whether exactly. it's AI, it's CAD CAM, it's intraoral scanning, it's guided surgery. You know, it is um, like with, with new, new cars, you know, I love cars. New cars have this intelligent cruise control. And so intelligent cruise control is keeping you in the lanes, is making sure you don't hit the car in front of you, but you ultimately have the steering wheel. You have uh, the gas pedal, the brake pedal. And that's how all this, these technologies are, is they're here to assist us. They're not going to take over for what we do. Yeah, absolutely. I, think, I think that's a so we've we've talked about um, detection. Let's go into some of uh, you know we have different classifications, right? We have E one, E two, D one, D two, D three, meaning how far into the dentin, how far into the enamel, at least from an proximal lesion, is this this carious lesion? The question I think becomes. Do we have research or do we have guidance on when to treat this? Let's say we even have the technology to detect it. We use an AI technology to detect it. Now, when do we when do we go in and treat this? Well, like I said the first thing is is the is the surface structure intact? When the surface is intact, there's no need. Even though there may be an initial lesion visible, also you know, visually visible, 
And this is why you know, we don't recommend to use a sharp explorer anymore. Uh, because then you may actually break in that surface, even though it may be intact from the get-go. Cavitate it yourself. You, you just exactly. You just use a, um, a perioprobe or you know like a ball-shaped you know explorer, and then just slide it over the surface. And when it's rough, then you know that the surface has already been altered. That mm -hmm. means you know, hey, you got to think about something. The first level of defense, though, is not just to you know to take a burr unless you're already in the dentin. I think I would say you know once you're in the dentin, you really need to you know, think about uh, more progressive treatment with um, rotary instruments and then and fillings and so on. But before that, there's a lot of things we can do. First of all, what has also become very important is that we do not just focus on one lesion, we have to focus on the patient and find out uh, what has led to this condition. Is it point. rampant? Is it not? And we call it, you no know, carer's risk assessment. And that means as part of this whole Thing. Also, when do I start treating? It has to be, are these progressing? Are they not progressing? Are, you know, what do we see? Why, what has led to this? Does the patient drink, you know, carbohydrate, you know, drinks all the time and consistently? And what can we do? We actually have a nutritionist at our school that when we see a patient that has problem, maybe with nutrition, we know they do a lot of, you know, sweets and sugar all the time, intake, and we help them understanding the problem, having to show them some tools, what they can do to prevent that. And by the way, it's not, it's not bad if you have a, a sugary drink like you know, once a day or something. The problem is when it's consistently, because mm -hmm. then your pH level does not got, get out of the bottom. It's consistently there. So if Things you have a drink, like every half an hour, you know, oh, you know what, this and that, you know. But I'm just saying this as an example. It is key for us to also assess what brought us here. Because this will also determine a treatment. If we can see, you know what, there's a singular lesion here, single lesion there, maybe patient went through ortho treatment and you know, did have problems with that, maybe we can just use fluoride paste or we can use you know, different other tools, chemical treatment is what we call it. You know, and and uh, this is the first line of defense, I would say. You know, yeah. prescribing certain high fluoride uh, paste, you know, either in a tray or or in a, in a you know, toothpaste, and then maybe using you know Peridex, things like that. So this will be the first line of defense to go chemically into it. Then we have the second line, which is uh, um, when we do not drill yet, because it's initial lesions, it's still limited uh, in the enamel, where we can seal off also the you know aerobic bacteria there with either a sealant or carries resident infiltration. And of course, this is why also, by the way, the um, detection and the confirmation through radiography is so important, for example, in, in the proximal areas where I do not have a chance to necessarily go in with the large probe or whatever. So I need to see that and then confirm it. But once I see an infraction there, I could go ahead and do, for example, if it's initial uh, situation with the, with the sealant, but again, um, this will be the, the second step. And then once we get definitely into the dentin and, and even beyond that is uh, we certainly have to you know, repair it because then the, once we have this infraction of the surface, the tooth is not able to repair itself anymore. Once we only have like brown lesions, you know, white lesions, and, and the surface is still, um, you know, appears smooth, 
and then it's still okay. The second we have a dull surface, it's why you also use your, you're not just using, you know, it's good light, you use magnification, you use a, a dull, not a sharp explorer, and you're using air. It's very important as well. You dry it. And when you dry it, you see it's a dull surface, then you know the surface may not be intact anymore. Think about what's the next step. Try, first of all, of course, to maybe use fluoridation. If it's not impacted too much, the next step would be like uh, sealants and uh, and resin infiltration. But then, of course, if it's cavitated, then you will have to go and do something surgically, but also minimally invasive, where magnification is, of course, a, a key tool as well. And then do as small fillings, restorations as possible. Yeah, I love two things that you said. One was carries risk, right? Not just thinking about this lesion individually, you know, like if I, if I showed you a radiograph of a lesion, your first question should be, well, the, the other thing that I was going to point out was, what is the caries risk, right? What does the patient eat? What do they drink? What is their daily habits like? What is their, uh, their hygiene like? But not only that, I love the second thing that you said, which is progression. Show me the previous radiograph. Has this changed? Because I know in my own mouth, I have had enamel lesions for 15 years that have not progressed. They started, you know, how old am I now? I don't know, when I was in my early 20s, I guess. And um, my father who's a dentist who is very minimally invasive and very um, not invasive with his children, I would say, said, you know what, let's watch this. Kyle, you need to start flossing more, you know, no more soda, this or that. And I did that. I was in dental school at the time or whatever. And they've stayed the same. And every year I take radiographs now, if they progress, then of course, I'll, I'll, I'll do some kind of treatment. But those two things are really great. Carries risk. What is the patient's daily habits like? I love that. And then progression. And progression, why I like that so much, is because oftentimes progression is difficult to see if it's minor. And this is also somewhere where the technology can come in, and specifically artificial intelligence. Because it can look, find the lesion at the pixel level and say, you know, this many pixels was in, uh, was in enamel, were in enamel last time, this many pixels were in dentin, for example, and now, six months later, a year later, two years later, whatever, this is how it's changed. And so yeah. you can get data-driven answers at a pixel level, which is, you know, more advanced than our eyes can see. And that, I think, is a great way to use technology to say, okay, it has progressed, and now it's at this stage. Now we know when to treat it. And then you can combine this with the scanning technologies, which are changing as well, because people understand that many facts understand that it's not just to scan a, uh, a preparation and then fabricate a restoration. It's also, we have now near infrared technologies, for example, available that allow us to scan through hard tissues. And you can detect carriers with that. And you can then exactly follow it up. Let's say you do every half a year with the patient, um, maybe depending on, of course, the, the carriers risk, you, you don't want to take x-rays every half a year if they have no carriers risk, of course, yes. you don't want to do that. But if you see it, uh, you can combine that with a scanner, of course, where there's no, um, you know, concern radiation. about radiation, whatever. But you know, taking these tools together can really help you to do that and 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 say, you know what? Let's see if we change our habits, if we high fluoride uh, toothpaste, things like that. Uh, do we see a difference? Yes or no? And I think the most important thing you said, actually, <laughs> when we talk about when to treat or not to treat. 
what would you do with your kids? Yeah. <laughs> so many times I go like, oh, we're going to this and that. And I said, would you do this on your child? Oh, no, I would never do this. <laughs> Are you kidding me? So you would, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. I think this is one of the most important things because, and if you ask yourself all the time that question, what would you do to your kids? And then you will do the right thing, the right thing for your patients. Yeah, one thing you know you mentioned were sealants. And sealants, I think, are very, I should say, well-done sealants yeah. are very underutilized. You know, I think sealants are, are taught in dental schools, many dental schools, as, you know, well, we can't get a rubber dam on this patient because their tongue's kind of going everywhere and they're not going to handle this. So let's just quickly etch and add some composite and let's let's hope that we seal off the bacteria. And what I see, at least in my own practice too, especially with my partner, Matt Najad, is that he does amazing sealants that prevent decay happening. And when it's done with, um, with good rubber dam, air abrasion, proper bonding technique, this can really be a very well, a, a preventative treatment for children and adults. And I think it's underutilized in adults because people just say, oh, well, you're an adult, you know, um, sealants are just for kids. What's your thought on that? No, not, not true at all. And then, I mean, you, you said the right thing there as well. Um, you know, many times when we talk about adhesive dentistry and we talk about, you know, minimum invasives, oh, you know what, it takes so much time. First of all, that's not a good argument at all. I think people are just afraid because yes, it takes not only time, it takes also technique. But what, what are we? I mean, why can we not change our technique and, and try to do better for the patients? Oh, I'm not going to do this. I'd rather slap a crown on this, you know? No, 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 no. It's, it's, uh, it's not the way we should do it. Yes, it's more effort. And what also is true, bad adhesive dentistry is not good. I mean, that's, that's right. even worse than bad analog dentistry sometimes. Mm -hmm. you know? But, but yeah. um, you know, if you put the effort into it and you described it, you know, you put rubber dam, you put, uh, you put uh, use air abrasion, some of uh, the techniques that we really have shown that work extremely well in those initial lesions, you know, yeah, go for it. Yeah. So last thing I want to get into uh, before we finish this is if you're doing, you know, let's say you've got a cavitated lesion, you're doing class two. You know, I think previously it was this extension for prevention. Um, I was lucky to learn from Pascal Manier and, you know, the, kind of the bonded revolution pretty early on and learn, learn how to do this well. Um, what are your thoughts on like a minimally invasive class two lesion? Um, what are some tips you could give for anybody listening? No, I mean, we went away extension for prevention, of course. I mean, that's something that this was developed for materials that cannot stick to teeth, period because it was not available. There was no adhesion, even though, of course, we know very early on, you know, we started to look into the 50s and 60s into a tooth bonding, much more, much better materials that came up. But these initial, initial, I uh, would say, techniques were based on the fact that we could not bond the tooth structure. Now we can. That's why we, we, we can limit, we can limit our cavitation or our surgical intervention basically to only where it's absolutely needed and just you know remove the infected material and just replace everything else there's, there's no need to you know be 
extensive. And yeah. some people, not a, not a big misconception. So, oh, I don't believe in adhesive dentistry. But first of all, it's not about what you believe or not. If you do it right, it will work. There's no question about it. And you don't need any macro retention. Some people think, oh, you know what? I do adhesive dentistry and I put some grooves or something. Not necessary. Macro retentions do not improve adhesion. It's very simple. If you do adhesive dentistry, you do not need macro retentions or grooves or whatever into it. You know, you, re you remove, of course, the defective material and you replace it with a composite or what material of your choice for that specific situation. And that's what it is. Yeah, I love that. I still, you know, I still get crazy looks when I'm out lecturing in, you know, some random city. And I say, we don't think about retention and resistance form anymore. And they like, you know, want to get their pitchforks out and, and stick me <laughs> on the way out. It's like they think I'm an alien, you know? And it's so cool to see that, um, you know, there's, there's now many dental schools around the world that are teaching this. Because yeah, even when I learned this, you know, over a decade ago, it was still kind of crazy. And people told us that we were wild. And, and you know, that's okay, because, you know, that's just a progression of the profession. But uh, what is not okay if people, you know, deny it yeah. at the expense of the patients. That's what's not okay. It's okay not to be trained by this. It's okay. Listen, I have to learn this. I have to put more effort into it. That's, of course, that's that's what you would think it is with all the technologies that we're using. There's an effort. That's maybe where some people are afraid, of course, because you have to put a good amount of work and time into it to, to train with these. This is not coming naturally, but when we use them properly uh, to help us, we do better dentistry, and it's just a fact. Amen. All right, so two last quick questions. First one, what are you most excited about for AI to bring to dentistry? Um, the whole combination of things that we can, that the technology can help us bring the different aspects together, what we just talked about. And it will be much more involved in that diagnostic phase to make sure we do better diagnostic because that's where it all starts, bringing all this information together. And it's not just, you know, of course, radiographs is one of the most exciting ones, I think, just personal, but um, all the other aspects as well, bringing in you know, specific patient habits, bringing in their general health records to put all this information together, which we cannot synthesize. I don't know every, every um, you know, product, every medication on the market that- That's right. Causes, and think about you know, the you genetic- survival, you know? Yeah, genetic exact markers. And that's what happens in medicine already at a the, at the much more advanced level than what we do. But bringing this information together and synthesize it so we don't have to know this all by heart and say, listen, here, you got to be careful here. Red flag, red flag, red flag, green flag, green flag, green flag. And I think this is the, the most important step for, for using the technology in the best possible way. Great. And then, of and course, if you, can, and if you can then combine that with prediction of disease. That's right. And how do we treat that to help us with exactly what you said? You know what? There's a lesion there. Think about a sealant instead of this now. If, if the technology can help us to make these decisions easier, not to, not to take them away from us, but to help us make these decisions because this patient has, I know, just had radiation therapy and this and that. Because of this reason, you want to be more aggressive or less aggressive to take all these, those points into consideration. I think this is going to be the most exciting thing for us. That's fantastic. And then last question. What do you think is some of the most exciting technology coming in dentistry? Like, let's say in the next five, 10 years. Oh, my God. Uh, 
I don't think it's I don't think there's a single technology. I mean, of course, I I'm very much on the on the also being a lab technician and you know i'm also i'm also very excited about the material side of things of yes. course i'm super excited about 3d printing uh, it's not there where it could be yet but you know of course i would i would be very excited that in a not too far future we can start printing tooth-like restorations and multiple layers things like that but then you also think about things like stem cell research where some people get involved with to even start to grow tooth structures which could be the next level which is then truly biomimetic you know right. but um, yeah i mean uh, i think there's a, there's a lot of great things that that will keep us busy and, and happy and now patients getting better care in the next couple of years that's for sure yeah it's definitely an exciting time to be in dentistry marcus well thanks for coming to uh bite down dental technology with dr kyle stanley it's been a true honor and i hope to have you back on to discuss you know some of this other technology that we've got into whether it's uh, uh augmented reality or cad cam or materials i think we've got a lot to talk about thank you so much it was a lot of fun <laughs>